Uh, let's pray. Father, we again just come before you. We submit ourselves to you, Lord, our ways, our opinions, and we ask you by your Holy Spirit to reveal your word to us as we look into it. Lord, I pray you would help me to deliver it clearly and accurately what you have on your heart this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this is Sermon 2 of what I believe will be four on the cycle of victorious giving. And as I said last week, <clears throat> it's kind of a play off of a book that was written called The, the Cycle of Victorious Living. And <clears throat> as I look at this more and more and study it more and more and look at the scriptures more and more, <clears throat> they seem to be totally connected. Our attitude of giving, generosity, and the life that we live in Christ. The, the uh, title of the message this morning is Committing to Grow. The subtitle is that giving reflects our attitude towards material things. Kind of a long title. Connect and commit to grow. I'm going to read, and I think I'm going to read the same seven verses and focus on verse 5 of Psalms chapter 37. So, I would encourage you, as I did last week, read Psalms chapter 37. Read it every day. It is really a, a psalm that will teach you, show you, and reveal to you how we should live our lives, the attitudes, the way that we think. Starting in verse 1, it says, don't, Do not worry, do not fret because of evildoers. Don't be envious towards the wrongdoers, <clears throat> for they will wither quickly like the grass and they will fade like the green plant. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do it. And He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. The verse that I'm focusing on in this section of Scripture today is verse 5. Psalms 37, verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do it. Trusting in him. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use an audio clip from 1948. How many of you remember that year? It was a very good year. I don't even think my parents were born or married yet. So uh, how many of you have heard of Jack Benny? All right, we're doing a little bit better. Well, Jack Benny was a comedian, and he made a living almost on portraying his stinginess, how stingy he was. And what I'm going to play to you is from a radio program, because he goes way back to radio. How many of you kids, young people under 30, remember what a radio is? Okay, good. Good. <laughs> he says you better <laughs> every day. Go ahead and play this video clip or audio clip and turn it up. Just click on it. Or don't click on it. Well, let me tell you what it says if it was there. Jack Benny is on the radio, and he's walking down the street, and he's whistling this little tune. And all of a sudden, a man steps out of the shadows and says, Mister, do you have a light? 
And Jack Benny looks at him and says, what? The guy says, hold up your hands, this is a stick-up. Jack Benny goes, huh? He puts the gun in his rib cage and says, you heard me, your money or your life? You heard me, your money or your life? Wait, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. <laughs> he did it better than that, but... I'm thinking. Priority issues. Jack Benny made a living with his stingy attitude. In the way he portrayed himself, which he wasn't that way, it showed his priorities were really messed up. And oftentimes, you and I can be just like that. Our priorities can get a little bit messed up. God doesn't hold a rifle or a pistol to your rib cage or to your forehead and say your money or your life. But actually, if you study the scriptures, here's what he says. Your money or your life. Material goods or your life. Materialism or your life. Things of the world or your life. Isn't that amazing that he says that? And he says it even more powerfully than that. Listen to the words of Jesus. As we struggle to make decisions on the priorities in our life, listen to these words in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. And I'm going to give you a heads up. I'm going to be reading quite a few scriptures today, more than I normally would. Uh, if you want to just write down the references, because most of them will not be on the screen, and study them. Because what I'm hoping you will hear in these, these uh, messages on giving victorious life, this cycle of giving, we begin to understand God's purpose for talking so much about generosity, giving. It's not about what you and I have become almost callous to, sick of, or angry at, the way we see people on TV representing Christ by begging for money. And you get the message that all it is is send in your money and you'll get rich. Buy this little vial of water from a river in Israel and you'll, you'll be happy for the rest of your life. Get this prayer cloth that I prayed over and I touched. Maybe I wiped my brow of sweat. Send in enough money, I'll give it to you. That is obnoxious. It is an abomination before God. It is false teaching. It's heresy. I am not going there with my messages. But... It's life-giving, life-changing when we understand why God has over 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about generosity, stinginess, finances, money, giving. It's a big deal to God, and you know why? It's a big deal in our life, and He wants to bless us. And there are spiritual blessings and emotional blessings and material blessings available to God. It's all His. Last week it was trust to live. This week it's commit to grow. In Matthew 6.24 it says this, No one can serve two masters. You've all heard this before. Either he will hate the one or love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus understood in his teaching that there is a connection between material things or our pocketbooks and the priorities of our lives. 
You and I spend our time, our talents, and our treasures on the things that are important to us. You've heard this from people like me and others so many times. If I want to know what's important to you, give me your checkbook and your calendar, and I'll tell you what's important to you. And the same thing holds true for me. I have a calendar on my computer, and there's a whole lot of things that change on that calendar every week, except one. Thursday afternoon, while the weather's good, it says golf with Darren. Now, there's something that's wrong with that, especially if you call me and want an appointment on Thursday, and I say I'm really busy. But there's nothing wrong with that at the same time, and that's what we need to understand. It's not about the what. It's about our attitude and our heart condition. And that's what I want us to really understand as we look at these things. But looking at our pocketbooks, our material goods, Jesus in Luke, where your treasure is, there's where your heart is. There it is, where your treasure is. And it's not all money. Don't just narrow this thing down to money. This is about your time and your talents and your energies. All of these things. God wants all of those things surrendered to him. All of them. So that he can use that to increase and expand the kingdom here on earth. That's what it's about. We need to start there. He warns his followers in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He, he says, watch out. Guard yourselves and guard against all kinds of greed. Not even when a man has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Just think how much of our time or the world's time is focused on getting more stuff. Thinking somehow, with strong warnings like that from the Lord, we still live in this world where it's like we're caught in the clutches of this attitude, I just need more. I just need more. More of this, more of that, more of the other things. And when I have more, things will be better. You know, we are... It is one of the primary goals of most of the marketing that you see in the world today to make you realize you don't have enough. And what you have isn't good enough. I'm pretty content until I see what you have. My van's good enough until I see yours. My house is big enough until I see yours. My, my Kohl's clothing is good enough until I see yours. Well, that's not true because I don't know what the name brands are. But everything's pretty good until this desire for more, this desire for more. You know, it's like that's what the American dream is. How many of you times do you hear that? Chase the American dream. What is the American dream? It should be something like the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. Now, it's almost biblical. Life in Jesus Christ produces liberty and freedom that opens the door to blessings that bring joy and happiness from within, not from without. But instead, we have perverted that into thinking the American dream, get rich. Have more stuff. And it's destroying us. It's destroying our culture. It's destroying our nation. It's destroying families. And it's not doing the church, God's vessel on earth, much good either. We call this 
pursuit of worldly possessions, materialism. And materialism, believe it or not, is the enemy of faith. How is materialism the enemy of faith? We are getting our eyes off of God and trusting in Him. And we are looking to the things of the world to fulfill our needs. Jesus, in Luke 12, in response, he says this, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief can come and no moth destroy, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. How many people have traded life and freedom for gold, silver, and plastic? How many of our lives are controlled by our credit cards? Spending money that we do not have for things that we usually do not need. And all of a sudden, we are prisoners to those things that we thought we needed that we couldn't possibly live without. When materialism sets in, it really is telling us we are more confident and comfortable with material possessions. And therefore, we neglect other people and our need for God. One of the primary reasons God blesses us with material things is so that we can be a blessing to others. But if I am so focused on my stuff, and somebody with a need comes, and out of the abundance of my stuff, I could easily meet their need, and yet I go, well, what if? I might need that someday. What if? Materialism. It's not just about collecting things. It's about the attitude that we have. It's really thinking like the world thinks. And we're supposed to have our mind renewed and not think like the world thinks. We're supposed to have died to the things of the world. It's an attitude that we have. Jesus in 1 John chapter 2, in the teachings that John wrote, he says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. Pretty clear. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, The boasting of what he has and what he does doesn't come from the Father, it comes from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. In the book of Matthew, we hear the story of this rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, he says, what good thing do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus talks to him about the commandments and following the law. And this young man says, I've done all that. I've done all that. And Jesus looks at him and he says to him, if you want to be perfect, in other words, good enough, go sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And the scripture says when this young man heard this, he went away sad. And this parable of the story says because he had great wealth. 
It isn't about you and me running out today and selling everything you have and giving it to the poor. Jesus was teaching about a heart condition. He was saying all those good works aren't going to cut it. No matter how good you've been, no matter how many good things you've done, that's not going to give you an eternal life. You're not going to inherit the kingdom. When he said go and sell, what he was really doing is x-raying this young ruler to discover what was in his heart. And oftentimes that's the challenge for us. When these opportunities arise, challenges in our own life, do we trust God or don't we trust God? A heart issue. Which is more important to us? The material things or eternal things? Again, I feel like I need to throw this in again. In and of themselves, there is nothing intrinsically wrong with a nice car, a really nice home, or any name brand clothing that you like. There is nothing, any, there's not anything intrinsically wrong in those things. None of those possessions. The problem becomes when the possessions begin to possess us. That's when we're in trouble. When I am focused on those things above the Lord, and above eternal things, when I am focused on those things and they're more important than ministering and loving and meeting the needs of other people. You know, one of the things that I tell others, and I tell myself this, and I, I really believe it's true in my life. I look around, and if I get my eyes on other people's stuff, guess what happens? I want it. And then I remind myself, you know what, if I have that, then i got to take care of it. i got to keep it fixed up. I break everything. Maintenance will kill me. And I don't have time. And that's all in the natural. But boy, is it a picture of what's going to take place in the spiritual if I let my attitude take hold. Because material goods will squeeze your relationship with the Lord right out of you if you're not careful. And that's what the Lord is teaching over and over and over throughout the Scriptures. All his cautions, all his commands. The materialism is truly an enemy of faith because we start to consider the temporal things. The Bible always talks about those things that will pass away. We put more focus on those temporal things than we do the eternal things. And he's continually telling us, keep your mind, your heart, your passions on the eternal things. You know, when we look at the world, we wouldn't expect non-Christians to get this. Because our culture in the world is constantly teaching and training just the opposite of what the Bible says. But sadly, there seems to be a major disconnect in Christian circles. Barna does continual research every year, every few years, on giving on generosity. And he looks at evangelicals, born-again evangelicals, non-believers. He looks at all these statistics. And he doesn't always differentiate between giving to your church, even though he uses the word tithing in a lot of his polling data. 
He just considers giving to your church and other nonprofits, other charitable things, all kind of the same. And the most recent polling that he did was in 2000, the year 2013. Now, giving amongst evangelicals, born against evangelicals, has been going down for over 30 years. For over 30 years. And these are people that confess that they are born again evangelicals. And his most recent data showed that approximately 12% of the people who claim to be born again evangelicals tithe to churches and other non-charitables combined. If you're new and you don't know what a tithe is, it simply means a tenth, 10%. And he says, what's even worse, 12% of born-again evangelicals, professing born-again evangelicals, tithe to their church plus other nonprofits, other charitable organizations. He says 18% give zero dollars to their church. Zero dollars to their church. Amazing numbers. And if you want to just go in and Google the polling data, it it breaks it down in, in, in ways that are amazing. But all I wanted to understand and see was, why? And of course, he doesn't tell you that. But it seems obvious to me that there is a real disconnect between God's Word and how we practice it. Born-again evangelicals say that we believe this is the Word of God. That it's filled with truth. Every promise in it is true. Every principle we should follow. And yet, when it comes to generosity and giving, the statistics are abysmal. More don't give a dime than tithe. What's happened? Where's this disconnect? What we need to do is reconnect with the Word of God and reconnect with God Himself. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not this pastor up here trying to get my hand in your wallet and take your money. That's not what Jesus spends all this time teaching. You are robbing yourselves of the blessings of God. You know, the first thing we need to do when we look at financial issues is ask yourselves, am I being generous? Am I being generous? As Christians, we believe everything belongs to God, right? Amen. Everything belongs to God, right? It always gets quiet when you talk about money. If everything belongs to God, and He has said, Mike... I love you and want to bless you. Everything I give you, 90% of it is yours. Steward it and do what you wish because your heart's desires are mine. 90%, 10% back to me as an act of faith to prove to me that you trust me and I'll open the windows of heaven and bless you. What a great deal. What a great deal. 12% of born-again evangelicals tithe. You know, there's some promises in the Word that are pretty cool. Amen? Can you at least agree with me with that? All right, good. Here's a verse that is familiar to a lot of people. It's in 2 Chronicles 7.14. 
He says, if my people, that's us, that's his church. He says, if my people that are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, turn away from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Some people would call that repentance, which it truly is. Some might call it a spiritual renewal. Some might call it a good old-fashioned revival. As we reconnect with God, humble ourselves, seek His face. And covetousness, stinginess, greed, materialism are not going to release the blessings of God in our lives or in this nation for that matter. When it comes right down to it, guess what the problem is with the attitude that much of the church has? Disobedience. Just flat out disobedience. We're called and commanded to be a generous people. We're called and commanded to reach out and help those in need. God has chosen his church to be his representation in the earth today to expand the kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit. We get to be part of that. Have you been blessed since you became a Christian? Have you experienced greater freedom since you became a Christian? Have your, has your life improved since you became a Christian? Why in the world wouldn't we want to share that with everybody in every way we possibly can? Especially starting with pleasing God. This is this second step in this cycle I'm talking about. Trust to live last week, committing to grow. When we commit to something, it really means I'm willing to surrender something without hesitation for a greater cause. We did a little marriage renewal, renewing of the vows here yesterday. And anytime you look at marriage, you're talking about a commitment. And if you want to destroy a marriage, let selfishness creep in. To make a marriage work, to make a commitment, we have to surrender something to a greater cause. I need to be willing to surrender my rights, my wants, my desires to a greater cause bringing glory and honor to God in my marriage. And that's what it is in all things. When we're going to make a commitment, you're willing to lay down something without hesitation because it's a greater cause. And the greater cause that we as Christians and the church should be concerned with is how can we advance the kingdom of God? How can we advance the kingdom of God? In that, there is a love and a relationship with Jesus that's growing and growing and growing. And as that grows, it becomes more our passion. How do I advance the kingdom of God? What can I do? God, what have you given me? What have you blessed me with? What talents? How much time can I commit? You've, you've allowed these things in my life. How much giving, finances, material goods can I give away to advance the kingdom? Critical. We need to remind ourselves over and over and actually, it's a mark of spiritual maturity that we are only stewards, we're not owners. We're just stewards. Everything that he's given you, 
I mean, everything. Every best breath you take this morning is a gift from God. We're supposed to take care of it. This body that, that carries my spirit around in it is a gift from God. I need to be a better steward of my body. God, I wish that was not have came out of my mouth. <laughs> I'm knowing for the way I eat. Large quantities with zero nutrition. It's sinful. It's sinful. Everything belongs to Him, including my life, your life, my kids, your kids, my checking account, your checking account, your homes, your car, you name it, it's His. Do we believe it? I won't record who says amen and hold you accountable. But it's true. We need to live like it. You know, in my Bible, Matthew 6.25, if you've got yours and it has headings in it, I came across this heading, and I hadn't read the heading. I don't spend a lot of time reading the headings in my Bibles. But I love this one because when I saw it, I thought of so much of the, the work I do within other people. My heading says this in Matthew 6.25. It's in the middle of a chapter, so you maybe don't even have a heading. Does anybody have a heading above that verse? Cure for anxiety. Anybody like to have that? The cure for anxiety, the cure for worry. What could it possibly be? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all material things and whatever we need, emotionally, spiritually, will be given unto us. Our giving is simply a supply line that channels the blessings of God to us. When you see that that cure for anxiety and worry. If you read through it, you'll see, don't worry about where you're going to live. Don't worry about the clothes that you're going to need. Don't worry about where your food's going to come from. Trust me. I will meet your needs. But my problem is, God, my needs aren't what you think they are. They're so much greater. You know, I don't know where this fits in my message, but it probably doesn't. You know, do you ever say or hear people say things like, why aren't we seeing revival in America like we're seeing in Africa and some of those countries in South America? You ever hear stuff like that? You ever hear things like, why don't we see the miracles in America like we see in Africa and in those countries where there's horrible persecution? Why don't we see them? I think a huge part of it is our materialism has convinced us we don't need God. They have very little to distract them from the Lord. And they trust Him for everything. And we don't. Materialism is truly the enemy of the kingdom of God. It doesn't just challenge our faith. It's the enemy of the kingdom of God. When we choose to hoard God's blessings, it brings division and strife into His church. When we choose to hoard God's blessing, it overlooks the needs of other people. We choose to hoard God's blessings, it promotes selfishness instead of sacrifice. And it focuses our efforts on just holding on to the status quo instead of expanding the kingdom. Holding, how many love the status quo? I have to confess, there's a part of me that's a maintainer. Let's just 
not rock the boat. It's going pretty good. That part of me is out of line with God's will. God hates the status quo. He wants the kingdom of God to be advancing. And when the kingdom of God advances, Mike gets uncomfortable at times. Because I start looking, what would I call practical things, and more often than not, they're material things, or my own fears and insecurities. We are to be advancing. And when we have this attitude of hoarding God's blessings, whatever they are, we're holding back the kingdom of God. There's a church in Revelation. How many have heard of the church of Laodicea? I hope it's not the church of Balaton. It says, you are so lukewarm you make me want to puke. How many have read that? How many of you that haven't read it believe it's in there? It's in there. You know what he says about this church in Laodicea? You, are, you look so good from the outside. Your building is sweet. The interior is decorated really nicely. Your checking account and your savings account, even your building fund are awesome. You think you've got no needs. Wow, then he kind of ruins it for them. He says, in my eyes, you're wretched and poor and naked and you make me want to puke. Isn't that unbelievable? What was the problem? They were comfortable. They were hoarding. They were not a generous church. They had lost focus on advancing the kingdom. God says, I love you. And as a loving parent, as a loving God, it's my job to discipline you and warn you. Listen to what I'm saying and be an overcomer. Great message to his church. A lack of commitment and self-sufficiency. The church in Laodicea had become useless for kingdom service. So how do we stand? against this progressive and this pervasiveness of materialism. How do we stand? Let's get practical. Let's get... How does it work? What do I need to do? Well, number one is we need to refuse to get distracted. Cindy said even in her announcement of the ladies' retreat, she feels like we live in the land of 10,000 distractions. Boy, is that underestimating it. We are distracted. We are bombarded. We are in an information age. We are in a technology age that we can't stand to sit still and meditate for a few seconds without getting uncomfortable. We need to be bombarded. Matter of fact, one source usually isn't enough. We need three, four sources coming at us constantly. We need to refuse. In Philippians, it says this. Paul's attitude. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider it lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider all those things that I had. What did he have? He had a reputation. He had an, he had an education. He was a big deal. He was a hot shot in the church. He says, I consider all that as dung, as rubbish, as manure. 
completely rubbish that I could gain Christ. He was not going to be distracted. At best, oftentimes, we give a half-hearted effort towards that. Half-heartedness will not work. A second way we can resist materialism is by cultivating the grace of contentment. As I said earlier, I'm really content as long as I don't look around. We need to be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. It's in the Bible. How many of us believe it? I hear all these people say, yeah, I didn't bring anything to the world and I can't take anything out. Then why in the world are you just building this storehouse to hold more stuff? What's the point? Paul warned Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the following verses that I just read. He says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish things and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Notice what it says. It says people who want, desire, are consumed with getting rich. Praise God, I hope some of you are so rich you can't give it all away. There's nothing wrong with that. Money, I, I hope you have plenty. There's nothing wrong. It's the love of money. Hopefully we would get this in our spirit and understand that, you know what, when I start looking at you or you and you've got more than me and I start to get a little envious and jealous, what am I looking at? I'm looking at the stuff. My heart's the problem. We need to not get into a place where contentment doesn't exist. You know, it's interesting. You've probably heard me say this many times. The scripture that says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You know what the context of that scripture is? It's not, oh, gee, I don't want you to be lonely. I mean, it's good. It works for that. But the context is, don't worry about your needs. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll meet all your needs. There's a commitment. God himself is making a commitment. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Third, to resist materialism, we need to commit to an eternal plan. One of my favorite scriptures is in Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope, and to give you a future. That's an eternal plan. That's God's eternal plan. That's his eternal plan for me and you. That's the eternal plan we need to keep our eyes on. It's not, to be a good steward, you've got to do a lot of planning. You've got to manage what you're given. You've got to take care of things. Absolutely. But why? Because there's an eternal plan. I'm stewarding everything I have for the, be the best that I know how to do because there's an eternal plan. And all those blessings are part of his eternal plan. 
God, how do you want me to use my time? How do you want me to use my gifts, my talents? How do you want me to use the material blessings you've given me? Eternal plan. When we tap into this eternal plan, we find really true happiness. It's found in committing. When we surrender the things that we can't keep anything anyway for those eternal things, there is happiness. There is a blessing. And when we do that, things happen in our lives that become different. Your household, your home, becomes a mission field. The eternal plan. I'm to raise up and train those under my roof, into my, in my home, to advance the kingdom. My home is a mission field, and anybody who comes into it is, a, is a, a candidate for me to be a missionary towards them. The eternal plan. Your career, your job, whatever it is you do. I know some of us hate our jobs. Don't ever say you hate your job. God's going to leave you there till you love it. No, no, I don't know that for sure. <laughs> but if I were God... When you get this eternal plan, your job and your career becomes more than work. It's a, it's a way to provide income that we can utilize the money in the building of the kingdom. It's different. Whatever it is you do, start thinking that way. Thank you, God. This job that you've given me is, prepared, is providing a way for the needs of my family. And you're also providing a way to advance the kingdom. Advance the kingdom. And even in all of our relationships, they become a way that we can nurture and support to help us fulfill the duty of reaching out to the world for Christ. See how it changes everything? Your home, your household, your career, all of your relationships. When I stay focused on the eternal plan, giving. There's a story in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. This kind of blows the theory out of don't let anybody see you giving. Jesus says he's sitting there and he's watching people come and give. Kind of nosy. Aren't you glad that he doesn't come and watch you give? Oh, that's right, he does. He does know that. It says he's watching people give and, and he's seeing all these rich people come and they're throwing in large amounts of money and probably turning around and yeah, I did that, that was me. And then he sees this poor woman come. And it says she, she takes and she puts two tiny coins in that are less than a half a penny. And, and Jesus watches this and he turns to his disciples and says, that woman gave more than all the rest. And I'm sure they were looking at him like, okay, he's lost it. That woman, she gave. The others gave out of their wealth wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. She put everything in. All she had to live on. God is not concerned about how much you give. He is concerned about the heart. You know, we can turn all of this into good works if we're not careful. He's not concerned as much about what you do for someone else as he is about the heart. Why are you doing it? I'm going to do this good work because there's a lot of people watching and they're going to all pat me on the back. doesn't count much from an eternal perspective. Some questions about giving. Why should I give? I could give you a whole long list and I think they would all be biblical. 
but I'm going to just give you one. Hebrews 13, 16. Why should I give? Do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifice God is pleased. That's why you should give. It pleases God. I can go on and on of why we should give because the Bible's full of reasons why we should give, but none of them top that. It pleases Him. What should I give? To God, willingness is way more than important, more important than the amount. But in, in, in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 12, it says this, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. That's 2 Corinthians 8, 12. It says, according to what one has, not according to what you don't have. He says, whatever you have. Who's being more obedient? The guy that gives $1 or the guy that gives $10 or the guy that gives $100 or the guy that gives $1,000? Depends on what you have. Not on what you don't have. You know, God talks about the tithe, giving of 10%. You know, that was Old Testament stuff. And most of the Old Testament stuff was nothing but types and shadows. In the New Testament, it should go way beyond 10%. Way beyond. Our tithes, our our offerings, our alms. Percentage of what we give. Who should I give it to? Lots of places. But one of the places we should give is to the church. The church. I believe in Malachi 3.10 where it talks about bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse is the church. That does not mean we do not give to other places or other organizations or other charities. But the church, the body of Christ, is God's, one of God's primary tools of advancing the kingdom. When the church receives, and if the church is doing what they're supposed to do with the finances they receive, being good stewards, passing it on. I was going to look and I forgot. I think every month, Cindy, help me with this. Do we give $1,800 to missions? Am I close? Every month, out of your generosity, we give $1,800 right off the top just to missions. We couldn't do that if the church didn't give. You are part of supporting all those ministries through your giving in the church. And the effectiveness is multiplied as the body of Christ comes together. All the curriculum that is purchased by this church, guess what? It comes out of your generosity. This year we've expanded what we're doing in a lot of different ways by faith because we felt the Lord leading us to do it. You know, you opened up your your wallets and your checkbooks and your generosity and everything that we've done in remodeling those back rooms. And the furniture that's not even in our offices yet has been paid for by you, your generosity. My salary, Casey's salary, Bob's salary, all of that, Cindy Barnes' salary, all of that comes as you give to the church. I maybe shouldn't have went there. (laughs) How do you get rid of Mike? You really aren't my source. I love you though, but you aren't. The church. And when should I give it? This is kind of interesting. You know, there's a scripture in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 16 too, 
Where Paul's writing, he says, on the first day of every week, that would be our Sunday, right? Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Oh yeah, based on what I give, saving it up. And Paul is saying, that way when I come, you don't need to do any special offering. Now, I'm not saying you need to give on every... I, I think the real message for us there is, you can take that literally, I think it works great, but I think it is, do you have a plan? Do you have a regular plan in place to give? You know, when we don't give, you know, we're not really cheating God. You've heard it before, I'll say it again. God doesn't need our money, he wants our hearts. When we don't give, what we're doing is whatever we're withholding from him is hurting me, hurting us, hurting each one of us. Our lack of giving, if you read the scripture and study these scriptures I've been sharing with you, selfishness robs you and me of spiritual victory. You know, sometimes because somebody you're talking to about one of your problems, sometimes they're too compassionate. Sometimes I don't want to make you feel bad either. But sometimes one of the first questions I should ask when somebody comes to me walking in bondage is, how generous are you? How generous are you with what God gives you? Want to walk in greater spiritual victory? Develop a generous spirit, a generous heart. I'll leave that alone. Paul says some interesting things. Our response becomes a witness to our devotion to the Lord, and this brings glory to God. When we're generous out of obedience to the Word and to the Holy Spirit, it testifies that I trust God. And because it testifies that, it brings glory to him. Paul actually goes further and told the Corinthian church, he says, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God and an overflow of your giving will bring many expressions of thanks to God. I want to just close with this scripture. I went awfully long. 2 Corinthians 9. Read way more than what I'm going to read, but I'm going to just start in, in verse 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that at all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can become generous on every occasion. Through us, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God people, God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. It takes a commitment to follow the kingdom principles and the principle of generosity is no different than the rest. The whole point of what I'm trying to share today is reflected in the title. Commit to grow. 
Commit to grow in our generosity. Commit to grow in our willingness to sacrifice things for a greater cause. We're a busy culture. It's stealing our time. We let it. We get easily distracted. We need to stay focused. We can spend money on a bazillion things. And then we live in debt and controlled. We can turn the blessings of God into a prison when we abuse the blessings of God and we live in bondage to the stuff He has given us to bless us. Sowing is the key to growing. What you sow, you will reap. Generosity. Generosity. So what keeps us from making a total commitment to God in this way? Are you holding on to something that really has got a hold of you? When we become generous, we're really giving God freedom to pour out His blessing on us. I read this last week. I want to read it again this week in closing. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. If you give, you will receive. Your gift will return to you full in full measure, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more and running over. Whatever measure you use in giving, large or small, it will be used to measure what is given back to you. Remember last week, for those of you that maybe weren't here, when we were talking about giving, it's not a giving to get, but it is giving with an expectation that God will bless because he promises to. There's a difference. We need to remind ourselves he pours out his blessings how he wants, when he wants, packaged however he wants. Commit to grow. Next week we're going to look at delighting to give. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you and praise you for the abundance you've blessed us with as a people. God, I thank you for the generosity and the generous spirit of the people in this church. But Lord, I pray you would challenge each one of us, starting with me. How can we be more generous with our time, our talents, the material blessings that you give us? How can you use them? How can we release them to advance the kingdom in greater and greater ways? Challenge us by your spirit that we may give glory and honor to you. Bless us now as we go our separate ways. Watch over us, protect us, keep us safe from the enemy. Give us a sense of discernment that we are aware when the enemy is trying to come to steal, kill, and destroy, that we may take authority that you've given us and walk in victory. We ask all this that you'd be glorified in your son's name. Amen.